We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to Babylon Singularity. I am your host, Peter Herder, and in today's episode, we're going to get into Matthew 24. The last few episodes, we've been in Luke 21, where Jesus teaches his disciples about two events that would come to pass. One event was the destruction of Jerusalem that would come upon the Jewish people because of God's great wrath for completing the transgression. Because they had completed the transgression, God would pour out unprecedented wrath upon Jerusalem and destroy the temple and disperse the people. That is what Jesus promised and prophesied to the leaders in Jerusalem, and that is exactly what happened in AD 70. In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus' disciples ask him two questions. The first is, when will the temple in Jerusalem be destroyed? And the second question was, what would be the sign of his coming, his return? And so, the answer to those two questions are separated by thousands, at least 2,000 years, right? Or, or, or about 2,000 years or so. Because we know the first part of the prophecy, the when would the temple be destroyed and the, the people in Jerusalem be dispersed, that happened. That happened in AD 70. Jesus prophesied that that would happen, and it happened. The second part of the prophecy that he promised of would that was that he would appear in the skies with all of heaven's angels, all right? So the second part was I'm going to appear in the skies and this isn't a secret thing, this is a public thing. This is a thing that every eye will see. That is the second part of the prophecy. That is something that did not happen in AD 70. So, Jesus describes two, uh, two times, two events, and these two events are separated by thousands of years. And we get into trouble when we convolute those two events, when we lump those two events together. Like a pre- a, a many preterists will say, um, everything happened in AD 70. So, the, the destruction of the temple and the return of Jesus happened in AD 70. Well, that doesn't make sense because, yeah, the temple was destroyed, true, but Jesus never appeared in the sky with the angels of heaven, right? That never happened. So, the preterists, the preterists fall back to this kind of, uh, I'll, I'll be nice, I don't, I don't know, let's just call it a stretch, where they, they say, oh, this is apocalyptic language. It, it doesn't actually mean Jesus would appear in the sky, it just meant um, that's what was happening behind the scenes where nobody could see it, right? And so it's this, it, and, and obviously I'm, I'm not doing it justice because I don't believe it. And I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a good solid teaching. And so I'm, I'm not going to be overly nice to it, even though there's many solid believers who believe it. And I would obviously want to be nice in conversation with them one-on-one, but in a podcast where I'm sitting here it, by myself in an office when I'm considering different perspectives, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to kind of call a spade a spade and say, Jesus never showed up in the clouds with the angels. He never did. And there's no stretching apocalyptic language to argue in any kind of reasonable way that to say that Jesus did appear in the clouds because he didn't, Right. 
And so the preterists clump all of these events into, eight, I don't want to say all preterists, I would say some, maybe some or a few would, would, would clump all of these prophecies into AD 70. That's one ditch. And then on the other side, you have, have the other ditch, and that's where you clump all of these events that Jesus describes at the end of the age, right? And so when Jesus describes the destruction of the temple in Luke 21 and the dispersing of the Jewish people, there are many futurists who say, oh yeah, uh, that, that happened in part in AD 70, but the real fulfillment happens at the end of the age. So we should expect to see the temple in Jerusalem rebuilt. We should expect to see um, the, the, the temple destroyed and we should expect to see the people in Jerusalem dispersed again. And then we should also expect to see Jesus's return in, in the clouds. And so on this road, there's a ditch on each side. There's the preterist ditch that says, hey, everything happened in AD 70. And then there's many in the futurist camp who'd say, no, everything is going to be fulfilled at the end of the age, say 2070 or, or whenever it is, right? And, and I, I, don't, I don't say 2070 because I believe Jesus is coming back in 2070. I just, I just use it as a marker, as a 2,000-year marker to say, hey, we're not talking about 70 AD. We're talking about 2070 AD, the, the end of the age, these, these two time periods that are separated by thousands, 2,000 years, right? So when I say 2070, it's a generic term for the end of the age. I imagine it's going to happen. I, I, I personally believe it's going to happen around that time period. Now, give or take 30, 40 years, something like that. I'm not, I'm not calling a year. I'm just calling a time period. And, and that time period, I'm calling 2070, right? That's my personal belief. Could it go another 100 years? Could it go another 1,000 years? Potentially, I, I don't believe it will. I believe it'll be wrapped up by 2070. So I'm going to just use 2070 as a generic term. So anyway, let's let's just get into Matthew 24 here. I think I'm, I'm done kind of yammering on uh, about this. Um, I don't want to spend too much time explaining it because I think the text will explain exactly what I'm, I'm trying to describe here. So Lord, we ask you to open your word to us. We ask you, Jesus, to minister to us through your word. We look to you. We incline our hearts and our ears to you. We humble ourselves and we say, God, we don't, we don't know what your word says, but we want to learn from you. We ask you, Father, to, to lead me by your spirit. Fill me with light and truth and say the things that are on your heart in this hour, Lord. And I just ask you to encourage those who are listening that you would minister to their hearts through your word and through your spirit that you would have all of the glory and all of the honor, and that your church would be prepared to see you, and that their hearts would be filled with oil, their lamps would be burning, looking for your return. We ask you to awaken us and cause our hearts to burn within us. Speak to us in the name of Jesus. We give you this time. Amen. So... Matthew 24 opens the very same way that Luke 21 does, where the disciples are, are marveling at the temple and um, this, the architecture and the structures there at, on the Temple Mount. And Jesus answers them. He says in verse 2, 
You see all these things, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So again, this is the same account. This is this is a sorry. This is this is a different account of the same event. There there weren't two different events where Jesus sat down with his disciples one time on the Mount of Olives and described these things, and then another time a couple of weeks later where Jesus went. And sat down on the Mount of Olives and described these things. It's the same event, but two different accounts of the same event. And so, if there are some some differences or some some variations in these accounts, it's just it's due to the perspective of the of the of the writer. So we see these two accounts. They they're, they describe the same scenario. The disciples are marveling at the t- temple. And Jesus says to them, do you see all these things? I'm telling you, there will not be a single stone left upon another. That's a shocking statement, right? And, and we've talked about this. Um, the, the, the disciples are, are shocked, are like, wow, okay, so this whole structure here, this symbol of Jewish identity this place, this, lo- this location is the center of the Jewish nation. This is the place where God is with us. And Jesus, you're telling us it is going to be raised to the ground. So they ask him, so the disciples ask him in verse 3, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So two questions, tell us when will the temple be destroyed and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Those are two separate events separated by thousands of years. The destruction of the temple occurred in AD 70 and the coming of Jesus, the appearing of Jesus in the clouds and the end of the age would occur some 2,000 years later. So Jesus begins the teaching in Matthew 24, the very same as Luke 21. There, there's, there's a lot of similarities in these, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time with the similarities, but I, I want to see, I want to provide some clarity in Matthew 24 and remove some of the conflation of these two events so that we can peel these two events apart and say, okay, there's the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, and there is the return of Jesus, the appearing of Jesus in the clouds with the angels of heaven in AD 2070, some 2,000 years later. These are two events that would be separated by thousands of years. Jesus says, don't let anyone lead you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And Jesus says in verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed for this must take place. So this is the very same layout that we found in, in Luke 21. There's no, no difference here. He says, the end is not yet. You will hear of rumors, uh, wars and rumor of wars, but the end is not yet. Then, just like in Luke 21, the account says, verse 7, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pangs. And so, Jesus is describing the kickoff of the end time events. And Jesus uses the metaphor 
of labor pains, right? Of giving birth. Jesus says the birth pangs that the, that the, the, the earth will be seized like a woman going into labor. A woman going into labor is fine one moment, and then the next moment is beset with insane amounts of pain and urgency. And that is what Jesus uses to describe what the earth will go through. One moment, the earth will be fine, no big deal. And then the next moment, it will be convulsing in incredible urgency and pain. I mean, I mean, if you're really going to use the, the metaphor, I mean, labor pains, uh, labor pains, they call them pains because it's painful, right? It's not, they don't call them labor pains because it's pleasant. It's not pleasant. It's painful. And so one moment, the earth, just like the woman going into labor is, is, is fine. Everything is situation normal. And then the next moment they are overtaken with intensity, urgency, and pain, right? So that is, that is what Jesus says will happen. Now, Jesus says that there's, he gives, he gives like the pregame, like, like, you know, like if, if you're going to describe like, okay, so the Super Bowl is happening this Sunday and, um, and the Super Bowl, there's going to be, there's going to be like this whole, um, ceremonial ritual of, uh, a national anthem, and uh, and they're going to drag it out with a, a coin flip. The team's running out on the field, right? And then after that, they're going to kick the ball into the air. And when they kick the ball into the air, it's going to be game on, right? And so if you were to try to describe the Super Bowl to someone who didn't know what the Super Bowl was and what the game was and what it was all about, you would you might you might mention the lead up to the game. So that when they were sitting at sitting watching their TV, they would say, "Okay, all right, this is the this is the part where they sing the national anthem, and and this is the part where the teams run out on the field, and this is the part where they do the coin flip." Okay, well now we know that the kickoff has to be pretty soon, and then when you see the ball kick off into the air, you go, "Okay, it's game on!" Right? Well, Jesus does that for us here for the end of the age. Jesus says that we would hear of wars and rumor of wars, right? There will be, there'll be, there'll be an escalating war, a compressed time of instability and war. But he says the end is not yet. So when you, when you start to see the world erupt into wars, kind of unprecedented wars, you go, okay, this is like, this is like the teams running out onto the field, this is like the the national anthem playing and the, and the flipping of the coin. This is just the, this isn't this isn't the beginning of the game. This is the pregame. So when we hear of wars and rumors of wars and un- unprecedented escalation of wars, we can go, okay, we're heading into the kickoff. What's the kickoff, Jesus? Jesus is very clear what the kickoff, the labor pains when when the world goes from situation normal. Everything is routine. Everything is, is as how it always has been to onset of labor pains and um, completely gripped with urgency and pain. And what is that kickoff? Jesus says, well, here's the kickoff. It's what we would call, it's World War III. When nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there's a few other things that 
Jesus throws in there. So when you see World War III, when the entire world is at war and there are famines and earthquakes and pestilence, you'll know that it's game on. It is the ball has been kicked in the air and it is now game on. The kickoff of the end of the age, the birth pangs that will grip an unsuspecting world is World War III, when nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. But there's a, there's a little bit of an on-ramp that we get to see before World War III kicks off. And that's this wars and rumors of wars, this escalating period, time period of, of unprecedented war. Where we go like, oh, wow, there's a, there's a lot of conflict in the world. And we go like, wow, this is, this is getting intense. Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's just the pregame. That's just the, the teams are still running out in the field. The game, the game hasn't started yet. The, the birth pangs haven't actually gripped the world yet. The birth pangs grip the world when World War III breaks out, when nation rises against nation, kingdom against kingdom. That's, that's when it's game on. We need to be very clear that that is the teaching. It is, it's, it's absolutely established in Luke 21. That account is very clear. And then here it is echoed exactly the same way in Matthew 24. And you, and you could throw Mark 13 in there as well. Then Jesus says, and this, this is a little bit, this is a little bit of a difference from Luke 21. And I'm not saying like, I know the exact answers to it. I think in Luke 21, he says, before all this, they will deliver you up for tribulation. In Matthew's account, he says, then. So he says, hey, when the game has been kicked off, when, when World War III is underway and the, the birth pangs are happening, he says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and you will be put to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be pro proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So Jesus says, here is the layout. And this, is, this layout is pretty much in lockstep with Luke 21, outside of maybe where you would say when the final tribulation uh, begins. The final um, persecution, I should say, not, not tribulation. The final persecution of the saints begins. In Luke 21, you might say, well, it's not as clear in Luke 21 when the final perse persecution begins. In Matthew 24, it seems like Jesus... Is, is, is saying, here's the deal. First is going to happen is a escalation of wars and rumors of wars. You're going to hear about wars and, and, and it's going to sound like the, the world is, is, is breaking out into war, but the end is not yet. So it doesn't quite happen then. Then nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. So it's almost like a, it's almost like a rubber band that gets stretched all the way to its limit and then it almost comes back a little bit and then it goes all the way back and is released and the world breaks out in total war, World War III. Uh, diseases break out, um, famines, earthquakes, a lot of people... A lot of people dying, right? And so like that's, that's the idea is that 
this is the period of time when lots of people would will die from war and die from disease and die all different ways. However, however the Lord has um, ordained to bring people home in whatever way He's going to bring them home. And a lot of a lot of the saints and a lot of a lot of unbelievers and a lot of a lot just a lot of people across the board are going to die during this this time period and and you see this um you see this great cloud of 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 uh saints coming out of the tribulation in in the book of revelation and they're being they're being clothed and they're being comforted because they died in the tribulation right they died in the tribulation one way or the other some are martyred in the, trib- in, the, in the final tribulation, they actually die in this final persecution, but many others just die. They die from disease, and they die from war, and they die. They die the exact way people have been dying in this world since the beginning. It's not like, it's, you know, we can't look at the end of the age and go, what, God's going to start killing people now? Well, I mean, people have been dying from war and disease and famines um, and earthquakes since the beginning of time. It's, that's, that's, not nothing, that's not something new. That has been, that has been with us since the beginning. That's, that's the result of sin. That's the result of this fallen world. Like Many people die for tragic reasons, and God is there to wipe away every tear and to answer every injustice. And how does He answer these injustices from this world that this world constantly is dealing out? He answers it in eternity and says, okay, you, su- you, did, you suffered for a little while, but now enter into your eternal reward. And so, God is fully justified in doing whatever He wants to do in this temporal life, and He absolutely makes all things right in being God of eternity. And so, our, our brief sojourn here is nothing to be compared to the weight of the glory that awaits us in eternity. And so, there, there's no reason to get offended with God and say like, oh God, how can you, you know, let all these good people die and, and, and let all your children suffer and, and, and be uh, casualties of war and casualties of disease and, and casualties of these, of these different things. How can, God, how can you do that? And you get a lot of that sentimentality from uh, folks who, who really want to hold to the belief of a secret rapture. Like, well, God would never let his people go through something like that. He wouldn't let people die like that. When the simple fact is, is God's been letting people die like that since the beginning. I mean, there's, there isn't really one period of time where you go like, oh, God um, didn't let people die from disease back then. You know, you know God doesn't let people die from disease and, and die from war. People die from disease and war all the time. It's just there's going to be this period right at the end when it's just all getting wrapped up and God has an answer for it and we just have to trust him through the whole thing and he promises his provision and protection. He says that you're, not a hair of your head will perish, right? And so all of his promises are yes and amen. But that doesn't mean that a bomb doesn't drop on my house tomorrow and I'm, I'm, I'm sent into eternity because somebody bombed me. I mean, 
there's no, there's nothing in the Bible where I can say, God, you know, God, you say that no one can bomb me. And like, no one, no one can, like, I can't die in because of a war. Like, there's, there's nothing in the Bible where you could, where you could claim a promise like that. No, people, you know, basically it's <laughs> just, you know, it's, it's, it's just different flavors of dying, right? Like, like what, like, the 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 best case scenario i guess for most people is like i just really want to die in a nursing home watching you know matlock you know and and in in kind of get, getting my last you know uh, bowl of applesauce and and uh, slowly you know being medicated into oblivion right um that you know for a lot of people that's the preferred way to go but that's not necessarily i think in in eternity it's not going to be like uh, you know, oh wow, guys! You know, you know, you can be telling the story about how you, you know, how you how you left Earth, you know, after you ate your last bowl of applesauce and fell asleep to Matlock, never to wake up again, right? I mean, which is, you know, God bless the saints who who experience that. That it's all that's all fantastic, but it's not like I personally don't think like that should be the hope of my, like when I, I mean, what, what better way to go into eternity than to be standing for Jesus and be hated by this world and loving a world that hates you like Stephen, right? I mean, Stephen in the book of Acts, I mean, like, don't we want to go out like Stephen, you know, don't we, don't we want to go out like the saints of old? Or have we bought have we bought this whole Western mentality of like no I'm entitled to something and that my life is my own and I should be able to determine the terms and in, in, by which God brings me home. God owns us. God made us. We're on His ride. We we're we're blessed to be breathing and believing in Jesus and, and and whatever happens to us is up to the one who made us and the one who's holding us together and the one who promises to sustain us all the way to the end if we will trust him but here's the thing many will be offended with god because they think God owes them something. And that is a very dangerous place to be. Especially if you're living in the time where Jesus describes our birth pangs, right? A painful time, a time of incredible urgency, and a time where God shakes the nation, nations and, 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 and brings them to attention. And the nations rebel against him and join Satan, literally join Satan's rebellion against God. Take the mark of the beast, follow the Antichrist into oblivion, into apostasy and into oblivion, right? That is what happens to fallen humanity. They so despise the rule of God. They so despise the, the reign of the kingdom of Jesus. It's the Psalm 2 rage of the nations. And it's the Revelation 12 rage of the dragon, right? It's, the, it's, it's that satanic rage combined with the human rage 
that culminates at the end of the age and takes this incredible uh, expression and manifestation prophesied in the book of Revelation, specifically Revelation 13, where you see the rise of the beast and the false prophet and the nations who follow after him. It is what Paul calls in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the final rebellion, right? There will be this final rebellion where Satan comes to the earth and is joined by fallen humanity. But I digress. Let's get back into Matthew 24 here. So, verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are on the housetop not go down to take what's in his house. And let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his clothes. This is, this is the very same event that Jesus prophes- prophesies in Luke 21. But there's a big difference. In Matthew 24, it is in this account, it is described as the abomination of desolation, right? Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation, then if you're in Jerusalem, get out. If you're in Judea, go to the hills. Why? Why should the people who are in Jerusalem and in Judea get out? Because Jesus says there will be great wrath upon these people, this people, the the Jewish people. Why would there be great wrath against the Jewish people? Because they completed the transgression. They killed, they rejected and killed the Son of God. So there is a period of tribulation that would occur in AD 70, right? Luke 21 says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, Matthew 24 says, when you see the abomination of desolation. So those two events are the same. It's very important that we understand when Jesus says in Luke 21, when you see armies surrounding Jerusalem, that is the same event as when Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation. Because if we get it confused, and a lot of people do, then we're going to be looking for the wrong thing. In Luke 21, Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then let those who are in Jerusalem get out, those who are in Judea, flee to the mountains because there will be great wrath against this people. That is the very same as when Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation and you're in Jerusalem, get out. The abomination of desolation and the surrounding of Jerusalem by the armies describes the same event. So a lot of times people ask me like, oh, what, when, what, what do you think the abomination of desolation is going to happen? Or where, you know, how, is that, how is that all going to play out? And my answer is this. The abomination of desolation has already played out. 
it has already happened. Because Jerusalem has already been surrounded by armies and has already been razed to the ground and the Jewish people were already dispersed. We shouldn't look for those things to happen again. Jesus didn't say that this was going to happen twice. It wasn't like Jesus was saying like, okay, yeah, uh, Jerusalem's going to be raised to the ground. The, the Jewish people will be dispersed. But that's only part one because then part two will happen 2,000 years later when the temple will be raised to the ground and the, and the Jewish people will be dispersed. Jesus is prophesying one event. He's prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So when people ask me, oh, what is, when do you think the, the, the abomination of desolation is? I would say to them, that occurred in AD 70. Now, what hasn't occurred yet is Jesus returning in the clouds. What hasn't occurred yet is nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. What hasn't occurred yet is the final persecution against the saints. What hasn't occurred yet is the final testimony of the gospel given to the world. Those things have not happened yet, but the raising of Jerusalem to the ground, the abomination of desolation, the dispersing of the Jews into the nations, and the time of the Gentiles, that has happened. We're not waiting for the time of the Gentiles. We're in the time of the Gentiles. We're not waiting for Jerusalem to be raised to the ground. Jerusalem was raised to the ground. And so we need to understand that these are two different events happening in two different time periods, and we can't conflate the two. And the order given in Luke 21 is the order that is in Matthew 24, even though it's a little bit harder to see in Matthew 24. But the order is the same. In verse 26, Matthew 24, Jesus says, back it up, verse 25. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far from the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. This is a very simple yet very profound teaching. And it, Jesus personalizes it to every one, right? There's, there's, there's no escaping the teaching found in this verse. And this verse, you have to listen to me very carefully. Jesus is saying, my coming when I appear in the clouds, this is the teaching, when I appear in the clouds, it will not be a secret event. Jesus is saying, when I return, when I come, it will not be a secret event. It's not going to be secret, okay? So if someone says to you, Jesus, he came back and he's in my basement. If Jesus, if someone comes to you and says, hey, Jesus returned and we got him, we got him at church. He's, he's in the sanctuary of our church. Jesus came back and he's, and he's, and he's in the, in our, in our, uh, our survivalist bunker, right? Jesus says to everyone, if 
anyone tells you that I came back secretly, he says, do not believe it. Do not believe it. Now, there are many who are saying that when Jesus returns, it will be a secret event. Now, if someone comes to you and tells you that Jesus's return will be a secret event, Jesus has a instruction for every single one of us, and it falls to every single one of us to obey his instruction. This isn't my instruction. I didn't insert this into Matthew 24. There's never been any futurist or any, uh, you know, uh, post-trib theologian who inserted this into the teachings of Jesus. This is for the saints through all of the ages. And if you are a saint who is hearing my voice and you believe in the teachings of Jesus, then Jesus has this instruction for you. This is Jesus speaking to you. This isn't me. I'm not adding something. I'm not changing something. Jesus says, if someone comes to you and says his return will be secret, don't believe it. Do not believe that his return will be secret. Why? Because as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. This isn't a secret coming. This is a public coming. This is every eye will see it. Now, I know there's going to be some people who go, well, there's two returns of Jesus. There's the secret one and there's the public one. Well, when Jesus says, if someone comes to tell you that his return is secret, he says, do not believe it. I'm not saying don't believe them because they might have a, a, a whole bunch of really great teachings very biblical teachings about lots of other things. I'm not saying don't believe them. I'm not saying they are bad people or not Christians or not good believers or not. I'm not saying anything about it. I'm saying what Jesus is saying. Jesus doesn't say don't believe them. He says don't believe it. And what's the it? The it is the information. What's the information? The information is that the coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus would be secret or private or hidden. So if someone comes to you and says that the return of Jesus is secret, Jesus says, don't believe it. It's that simple. Do not believe it. Why shouldn't we believe it, Jesus? Because his coming, everyone will see. I'm, I'm throwing that out there not, not, to, not to start a fight, not to pick a fight, not to 
say I'm better than anyone else. I'm simply bringing it up because it is a very basic teaching. And Jesus goes out of his way to make it almost like Jesus knew that a whole bunch of people would believe that his coming was a secret thing. And Jesus addresses that. And he doesn't address it by attacking people. He addresses it by undermining the information. And the information is that the teaching that Jesus' return would be secret. It's not secret. It's public. So when somebody tries to tell you it's secret, do not believe it. All right. I think I've addressed that thoroughly. And I, I know there's a lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of good people that I love, that a lot of people that I respect, and a lot of people who've got a lot of really great teachings and a lot of, a lot of believers that you know, will be hanging out for eternity. But I think a lot of believers are going to feel bad eventually that they were pushing information that wasn't biblical pushing an agenda that says that the return of Jesus is secret is simply not biblical. And so that that's 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 there's 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 two levels to it, right? There's there's those who are out pushing it and they they will have to answer for pushing that that information. And then that's not for me. That's not for me to enter into judgment or or call people out. That's for them to answer face-to-face Jesus one day when Jesus says, hey, I told you my return was going to be public and you pushed it and you said it was going to be private. Why did you do that? Oh, Jesus, I, I read this, this, this Schofield Bible once and I did a whole bunch of gymnastics to try to make it so that your basic teaching wasn't basic anymore and, and something else took its place. There's lots of reasons why. But at the end of the day, it could be a very dangerous teaching. And and here's why. Because if people believe that the word of God, the the truth of the word of God is based on people teaching that the, the return of Jesus will be a secret thing, a secret rapture, then if a secret rapture doesn't happen before the birth pangs begin to take place, a lot of people will potentially, this is, this, is, this, is a, this is a possible outcome. I don't know. It hasn't played out yet. But I imagine it's definitely possible that when the birth pangs begin to happen and a lot of believers are shaken we're all going to get shaken by it. There's no, I don't, I don't care what you believe or what, what your take on the, the rapture is. You're going to get shaken by it. But to believe that Jesus was unfaithful to his word because he didn't come back and do his secret rapture like many have taught, that could throw a lot of people off. A lot of people could be offended based on that teaching. And that is my concern. And that is why I'm concerned about that. And so... We should all have a mind to go to the end because we don't know. We don't know when Jesus will return. And we don't know if 
if we even make it till tomorrow, I mean, the Lord could take take us home tonight if He wanted to. If if God visited us tonight, our every breath is dependent upon God. And so, whether whether we go home to Him today or tomorrow, or we we endure to the to the to the very end of the end of the age, our mindset should be the same. That there is no early exit plan. That there is no secret return but that Jesus is absolutely faithful to his word. So I, I don't know. I think I've, I've gone, I've gone too long and too far, but they're, they're, hear the passion in my voice, hear the passion in my heart and hear my appeal to believers to believe God at his word and believe what he says and don't believe some other variation of it. Cause at the end of the day, if Jesus says to you, don't believe it when people tell you it's a secret coming, then it falls to you to not believe it when people tell you it's a secret uh, appearing, a secret return. There is no excuse for believing. Jesus leaves no excuse for believing that his return will be secret. Okay, rant over. I apologize. You can you can tell it's a it's a thing for me, right? And so push that button. I rant. But I I, I would like to think I rant out of love. Please, all my brothers and sisters who believe in the secret rapture, forgive me for ranting. I, I'm not here to put anybody off. I'm here to be as faithful as I can to the Word of God, whether it's popular or whether it makes us feel good or not. Changing the Word of God or teaching something other than what Jesus is teaching is just never a good idea. Never a good idea. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will shake, then will appear in this heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end to the other. Hallelujah. So Jesus says immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now this is where the conflation in Matthew 24 can make this confusing. If we throw all of these events together, either at AD 70 or AD 2070, if we conflate these events, it'll be difficult to understand because Jesus is saying after the tribulation, immediately after the tribulation of those days, tribulation of which days? Because Jesus is teaching about two separate events. One event is the fall of Jerusalem and the dispersing of the Jews, which occurred in AD 70. And the other is the final birth pangs that will grip the world. World War III will break out. The final persecution will happen. And the final testimony of the gospel will be given. That's going to be around AD 
2070, right? These two different events separated by 2,000 years. So when Jesus says immediately after the tribulation of those days, which tribulation of those days? There's two tribulations. There's two troubles coming. One trouble came in 80, 20, uh, 80 70, when Jesus says there, this will be the greatest tribulation ever. And what would warrant this great, the greatest tribulation ever on earth? It's not fallen humanity in league with Satan. That, that actually is a lesser tribulation than the completion of the transgression by the Jews when Jesus says all of the innocent blood shed from Abel through Zechariah will be required of this generation. So the greatest tribulation of all time would actually happen in 8070 when God's wrath would be revealed against the Jewish people for the execution of the Son of God. But that's not the only great tribulation. There would be another great tribulation, and this other great tribulation would occur when fallen humanity would join Satan's rebellion and the rage of the nations of Psalm 2 would join with the rage of the dragon from Revelation 12. And this great rebellion would take its final expression at the end of the age, 2,000 years after the fall of Jerusalem. Two tribulations. One tribulation, 80, 70, which is actually the greater of the two tribulation, and the final tribulation of the final rebellion in AD 2070. So immediately after which tribulation would the sun go dark and, and the moon not give light and the stars fall from heaven? Was it AD 70? Nope, because 2,000 years have elapsed since the fall of Jerusalem. And the sun is still shining. The moon is still giving its light. And the stars are still up there. That never happened. I don't care what apocalyptic language gymnastics you tried to, to make fit. It has never happened. So which tribulation? It's not the tribulation from 70 AD. It's the tribulation of the final rebellion of AD 2070. After that tribulation the sun would no longer give its light. The moon would be darkened, right? Very simple. As long as you understand there's two different events separated by thousands of years, you can understand these prophecies very simply. Just have to put them in the right time period. So I'm going to end with this final teaching, and, and this, is, this is another place where many, 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 I believe, believers get it wrong for one reason or another, and, and I'm going to try to tackle it real quick, and that's verse 36. Concerning that day and that hour, no one knows, not the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For as were the days of Noah so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the, till the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what 
day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. The classic passage, many many um, have applied this passage to the kind of secret rapture paradigm where secretly some will be um, raptured away and vanish and and others will be will be left like the ones who were taken were the lucky ones and the ones who were left were the unlucky ones right i mean that's the whole paradigm of the left behind thing uh, uh book series and um, that whole theological eschatological paradigm is that the ones who are taken, those are the lucky ones. And, and the ones who are left behind, ooh, those were the unlucky ones. But the teaching here is, is the very opposite. The ones who are being taken are the ones who are being taken, not as a blessing, but as a, as a judgment. If you just take the story of Noah, right? If, 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 if the, Jesus references Noah, right? The story of Noah as, as the days of Noah were, so will be the, the coming of the Son of Man, right? Those in Noah's day were having a good time. And it wasn't until Noah entered the ark that they were taken, right? Those who, those who didn't get in the ark were taken. So the ones who are taken in the story of Noah aren't the lucky ones. The ones who are taken in the, in the, in the, 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 the ones who are taken are the ones who are being judged. Those who are the ones who are taken by the flood. They're the ones who are swept away, right? They're not swept away in a secret rapture. They're swept away in the literal floods that flood the earth and kill everyone except for the ones who are left behind, right? So in the story of Noah, those who are left behind are the blessed ones. It's Noah and his family. Those are the ones who are left behind. That's the paradigm that Jesus is re referring to. So when Jesus says there's going to be two people, one will be taken, the other one will be left. Jesus is referring to this final time period when one moment, everybody's going to be having a good time. It's going to be business as usual, situation normal. And then the next moment, there will be many will be taken in, like the, the Lord's going to visit them and take them. And the ones who are left aren't the aren't ones who are left for like, oh boy, those those guys were the ones who didn't get raptured. That's not the idea. The ones Jesus is saying, this is this is the very same uh, paradigm of the beginning of the labor pains, right? When when Jesus says one moment everybody's going to be fine, and then the next moment people will be seized upon with urgency and pain, just like a woman who is pregnant, you know, is out gardening, and then as soon as the labor pains begin to hit her. She is filled with a sense of urgency. She's ready to run inside, pack her bags, get to the hospital as soon as, as possible. 
It is the beginning of the labor pains that brings this heightened awareness and urgency of the baby is coming. We need to be doing something about this right now. Whatever we were doing, I don't care about it. I don't care about the garden. I don't care about any of that. I need to. Uh, we need to go take care of this baby right now. That's going to be God taking uh, charge of the nations, demanding they stand at attention, going, a baby is coming. And you need to be ready for what is about to come upon the earth. Jesus will be commanding the attention of the nations, just as a woman who is pregnant, going into labor pains, doesn't care about anything. Whatever she was doing the moment before, she doesn't care about anymore. She's got one focus, and that is bringing that baby into the earth. This is the scenario that Jesus is warning about. He's saying, one moment, everybody's going to be having a good time. The next moment, I'm, in, I'm coming in judgment, and many will be swept away, just as in the days of Noah when they were all having a good time, and then Noah entered the ark, and it was game on. There is a moment coming when birth pangs will begin, and it will be game on. One will be taken, one will be left. The earth will be cut in half. The population of the earth will be cut in half. And so it's just, I just wanted to just briefly talk about that, just, just in case if anybody was like, oh, why did, why did he duck the whole, uh, you know, the, the, the teaching of the, 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 the days of Noah teaching where Jesus says one will be taken, one will be left because many would, would say like, that's, that's, that right there is proof that there's a secret rapture, right? Well, no, it's not proof that there's a secret rapture. It's proof that labor pangs are coming to the earth. And when they do come, the earth's population is going to basically be cut in half half of the men and half of the women are going to be taken and the other half will be left. And when Jesus took people in Noah's day, that didn't mean they were getting raptured. That meant they were drowning in water. That's what it meant. And it doesn't mean at the end of the age, people are going to be drowning in water, but it does mean many will be dying in war disease, catastrophes, earthquakes, famines, the earth's population will be cut down. And Jesus's warning is this, just because you're having a good time right now, just because it's business as usual right now, doesn't mean it will be business as usual tomorrow. So be ready. And Jesus's exhortation to us is this, who then, verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself that my master is delayed, begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The simple fact is we may not see with our own eyes the return of Jesus in the skies. We might be those that Revelation describes as, as those coming out of the, the tribulation. 
we might be those who die before Jesus returns. Many saints have died. Most saints have died before Jesus returns. We might, we might be around for when Jesus returns in the sky. We might, I mean, that's going to be a very, very intense time, but there's a very good chance that we won't and that Jesus will come for us before that happens. Now, we may, may not die of old age in a nursing home, eating applesauce, watching Matlock. That may not happen. We might go to sleep and wake up dead. We, we might go to sleep and someone bombs our house. Jesus comes for us in the middle of the night. We might... We might, we might die of, in any one of 10 million ways that we can't even imagine all the ways that God could bring us home. And Jesus' message is this. Be ready. Be doing what I called you to do because I'm going to visit you. You will experience the day of the Lord one way or the other. You might not see Jesus returning in the skies with the angels, but I promise you this. The day of the Lord is coming for you one way or the other. Because when Jesus comes to take you and your life is over, that's the day of the Lord for you. That's the day of the Lord for me. If we don't make it through tonight, if we die in our sleep, Jesus comes for us. It is the day of the Lord for us. He can come for us at any moment, at any minute. He can't come in the sky at any minute. Paul says to us, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that Jesus isn't going to come until the man of sin is revealed and that the, the rebellion happens, right? And so there has to be this prophecy fulfilled before Jesus returns. But Jesus says, I will come for you at any moment. So you need to be ready. Does that mean we need to be ready to see Jesus in the sky? Sure, kind of. That, I mean, that's part of it. But Jesus can come for me and he can come for you any minute he chooses. And he might choose a minute when you're not expecting. So his advice to us is this. Be doing what I called you to do. Be faithful. Be praying. Be watching. Be seeking me. Because when I come for you, it may not be in the clouds. It might be in the middle of the night. It might be during when you're doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing. So we need to get right and live for God 100% of the time because we don't want Jesus to come for us while we're doing something we're not supposed to do. We want to be consistent. We want to be upright. We want to be faithful no matter when Jesus comes. So that's, that's it, saints. I, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time in Matthew 24 and just consider Matthew 24 in light of Luke 21 because it is the same account. It's the, it's the same event, two different accounts of the same event. And it's not difficult to understand if we understand what Jesus was teaching his disciples about the fall of Jerusalem and 
the end of the age when he would appear in the clouds. So I hope, sometimes I just think like, oh man, I, there's a lot of people who aren't going to like to hear what I just taught. <laughs> but as far as I'm concerned, I didn't write it. I didn't, I, it's not like, Jesus takes responsible for responsibility for what he wrote. All I have to do is just say what he said, no matter how popular or unpopular it is, and we live with the results. So we send it out and hope it's a blessing to you. I hope you're encouraged. If we will align with the truth, we will find incredible power, incredible power in the Spirit of God. If we will align with the truth and not resist what God is plainly saying. We'll find the blessing of, a, of walking in the truth. Thanks for, for joining me. Thanks for st- sticking with it. If there's anybody who actually did stick with it all the way to the end, God bless you. You are a true glutton for punishment. <laughs> I appreciate your, your steadfastness and uh, hope you uh, join me next time on Babylon Singularity. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you. And I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.